Attention Greendale students and welcome to Streets Behind, a podcast about the TV show community. Hosted by two friends who met on campus but couldn't hang out during the pandemic. So we started this podcast to stay connected. And together we come up with so many insights about the show and the characters that we never would have thought of on our own. We know it's not perfect, but if it was, it wouldn't be Greendale. So join us. You're already already accepted. Nice. Um, all right, but I'm gonna take a quick sip of coffee. You wanna just start? Um, so I'm I'm Sandy Hill Drone and I am definitely a big community fan. My my partner Matt is super into it, and so we have watched it and rewatched it like many times throughout our history. And more than most shows, you can rewatch it many times and always find new kind of layers that you didn't notice before. And I really enjoy that. I and I think it's it's a fun show to look back at and and discuss because it's always about these characters kind of learning about themselves and each other and human nature through what happens in the show just like a really kind of rich field for for discussion you know i'm i'm a data librarian now but i first started studying uh, cultural anthropology so i love being able to kind of put that hat back on and do some some cultural analysis nice and before i introduce myself i'll say that's part of like the early phases or like early seasons of the show is that they're in an anthropology class together right because the they have to yeah. make the uh what do you call it, the dioramas or whatever yeah i I love the anthropology episodes <laughs> it's betty white isn't it yeah, That's the, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice oh that was great sorry uh real quick i'll just introduce myself so my name is matthew kroll i used to work with sandy in a data library. So that's how we know each other personally. And I guess over those years of working together, we just kind of came to find out that we both enjoyed watching the show community, whatever the way these things happen, you'll make a reference to a show or like use a line or something like that. And then you kind of like, oh, you're in the community sort of thing. I feel, you know, I think like our sort of interest in the show just kind of grew organically from being colleagues or whatever. And just, it came up in conversation. In terms of like myself and my like what I love about the show or just how I came to love the show, the show and I, I realized this today, like getting, you know, kind of prepped for this episode, it started in September of oh nine. That's when the first episodes came out on on NBC. It was September of oh nine. A, that just seems like a different era. I mean, when you put it into context, yeah. that was like a year after like Obama had been <laughs> voted into <laughs> office the first time, if my math is correct, not even a year. I mean, just completely yep. different era. But I was getting ready to go to to go back to grad school at that time. And I was like living at home with my parents, getting ready to go to school, just kind of like waiting for the semester to start or whatever. And like the pilot episode, which we'll talk about today, came on. And I remember thinking like, oh man, like I'm going to be busy and I'm going to miss this show, but I definitely carved out time to watch it. I also thought it's funny that just, just the technology change when I first started watching the show and it came out, I would watch it when it, whatever night of the week, Thursday night or whatever on NBC, like I would watch that show. And I think it might've been around the same time or um, in a block with Parks and Rec. So I would like nice. watch Parks and Rec and Community. But even that, like today, I watched it on a DVD, if you can imagine. I didn't even stream it, you know. Um, but it's just so funny to think about, like, it's a show from a different era, but it's a show that I love. I've loved since the beginning. And there's a nostalgia attached to it for me because I remember, like, I was, there was a different time of my life. I was a different decade of, our, of, of history, you know. And so watching it this morning, I, yeah, just realized, like, how long ago the show first came out and how long it's been a part of my life in a sense. You know what I mean? Like it's been. Yeah. yeah and that's very cool that, but you watched it from the beginning. I can't make that claim. I, I first saw it when it was like on DVD or Netflix, something like that. But I, I started in kind of like the weirdest possible way because the first episode of the show I ever saw was the timeline episode where they roll the dice and talk about different timelines. Oh so that God. was my introduction to community. 
But you know what's crazy about that, Sandy, is in a way, like if you were doing a like a class or something where you were like, you know, analyzing, that'd be a great episode to start with because it would make everything so meta in your viewing. You know what I mean? Like not to be like super dorky about it, but in a way it always calls into question like what happened after that episode. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like everything after that episode, you're like, well, is this like one of the timelines or is this just like, you know, like the standard timeline that we've been watching. I mean, that's, that's what made that show so genius is it was like great literary or cinematic or TV moments where you're like, yeah, now everything's kind of called into question. You kind of have to question the narrator or like the, you know, the truth value of like what you're watching in a sense. But that's amazing that the first one you <laughs> the first one you saw was, yeah, was that one. Also, just the fact that, and obviously we'll get to that episode eventually, but like even just them being in an apartment that they share. I mean, it's amazing how much these characters and kind of like just their living situations change from one season to the next and the cast. Yeah. I mean, by the time you get to the end, the cast is different, you know? Yep. Um, so real quick, before we start talking about the pilot episode, I did think it was worth mentioning kind of our thoughts on this show, the podcast, not community itself and sort of what we wanted to to do with it. So one thing I did want to mention to listeners is that we're assuming you've watched the show. I mean, this isn't really like a minute by minute, frame by frame, taking you through each episode. In a sense, we're kind of looking at more like overarching themes and, you know, things that arise in the show. And some of the, not to sound too dorky, but some of the like intellectual themes that make the show like so interesting to people like us. There's just so much to think through and to chew on and to think about. So I did want to say, as we've already done, we'll we'll reference other things throughout the series and other episodes. So it sort of assumes that we, that, you know, people are familiar with the show and have watched it. I think this will be my fourth time through the series. If I just go like episode one to episode last, it'll be my fourth time through the series. But then there's a couple seasons and a handful of episodes I've seen like a dozen times, you know, there's a couple yeah. episodes that I, I mean, the paintball episodes I could watch. I just think they're so, they're just so clever. Yeah. I think that analyzing it and talking about it with other people is a lot of the fun of the show because it's about, a communal learning experience. And it also is a learning experience watching the show. They have a lot of kind of like life lessons that could be really corny, but are just woven into the hilarious fabric of the show so well that um, you're not being beaten over the head with them. Or maybe, you know, someone is literally being beaten over the head with them, but that's funny. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, the word meta will come up probably multiple times from my yeah. end. The show is so meta and it's meta to the point. And, and I have to give you credit for this because we were when we were talking about doing this pod, you mentioned this and I'd never really thought about it that way. But you sort of just touched on it now. Watching the show is sort of a community experience because it wasn't like the most popular show. It wasn't Cheers. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like a show that everybody was watching. And at the same, but at the same time, you meet people that watched it and loved it and it has a following and a rabid sort of cult following at that. So there's this interesting aspect to the show where people who love it, love it, but it's not like the biggest, you know, television show of all time. So there's already sort of this community of people, like when you and I kind of found out we could talk community. It's like, oh, I can talk community with someone, you know? Yeah, it's a connection point. Exactly. It's a connection point. So you're already a part of that community. But the thing that I loved you were mentioning is like the show, it, I mean, it's in the title. And you don't necessarily <laughs> realize it right away, but it really is about community building and how people find their belonging. And that's like really important to me because, I mean, in terms of the show, but also as a human being, everybody wants to feel like they belong and have a community or whatever. But especially it's in, now. Especially now. And that's the thing. So looking back on this show, like we were just saying, it started in 2009. This is like first four years of the Obama administration. I mean, watching it now today after the last few years and everything that <laughs> happened in 2020 and not even just politically. Um, in fact, to intentionally avoid that for a moment, just taking the pandemic and the social isolation and the physical distancing. Yeah. I mean, there was a moment where um, they touch each other in the show. And I don't mean like, in a, but like, you know, like just like 
eventually yeah, how people Abed, used to do. Yeah, Abed <laughs> and Troy will do their little um, high five thing, yeah. their little dap or whatever. And I'm, and it's like that doesn't happen in the first episode necessarily, but you're watching it from today's perspective, and you're just like, oh, people could like high five each other or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. And even that, I was noticing. I'm just like, I mean, look, so. I'm going to interrupt here just for a second to let you know that while we released this episode in 2022, we recorded it over a year earlier during the height of the pandemic. So keep that in mind as Matt tells this next story. Okay, back to the show. So I teach a class on a college campus. I have to wear a mask. You have to step out of the room to drink water. All the students are drinking or sorry, are wearing masks that they want to take a drink of water, whatever. They have to step outside of the room. There's like these circles taped to the floor where the chairs are. I mean, you're watching a group <laughs> of seven people in an enclosed little study room. Even that, again, like the reflective piece of like where we're, where we're starting our journey with the pod in relation to where this show started its journey being, being aired or whatever is, it's just weird. I mean, it's weird yeah. to watch these kinds of shows. But yeah, just to finish that thought, I mean, this idea of like that the show is about community and it's about community building and it's about finding a community. And we are now recording our pod in a world where finding your community is just vastly different than the 2009 that this show started. I mean, this is a way what you and I are doing now that people find community in our mm -hmm. contemporary, you know, pandemic life, like you do Zoom calls or whatever you, I mean, um, and I thank you for bringing, for bringing that up and, and pointing that out because I sadly had never really thought about that. The, the community building is one of the best aspects of the show. And although I love the later like wild and wacky adventure episodes, like I do really love the relationship building episodes as well. And that's the thing. So many of these early episodes are really about building the relationships. You really start to see how they relate to each other as characters, as you know, as people in the show. I, I am excited for some of the later episodes, though, because you're right. It takes a distinct tonal shift where it becomes more like a motley crew with an adventure or whatever. Yes. <laughs> and some of the early episodes, we'll see, like they start getting into that sort of stuff, like the... um kentucky fried chicken yes winnebago spaceship episode or whatever you know like i mean there's definitely like wild and wacky adventures but you're right it definitely shifts more in terms of the plot device it will be here's this week's caper you know the early episode obviously you're just kind of getting your first snippet of people but it really is about this being a spanish study group and the first half of the first season, if not the whole first, it's really about them being a Spanish study group. And then eventually they have to take the anthropology class to stay together. And eventually they just become like this group of people that hangs out in this study group, which also becomes something that the show becomes self-aware of. But it's, it's yeah. funny when you go back to season one, episode one, and all of this is basically a, the setup is Jeff Winger wants to get close to Britta, wants to date her. So he make, makes up a study group that Britta, being aware of like what you know Jeff's trying to do, invites Abed to, and Abed invites everybody else. And watching it today, I kind of forgot about that part. It's like Abed who really like constructs the group. It was Jeff's idea, but he obviously had ulterior yeah. motives. Um, but I just wondered what maybe you thought about some of that. Just the you know that this really does start off as a show about a, Sp a Spanish study group for which by the way Jeff Winger claims to be a certified tutor <laughs> oh my gosh yes and as an academic that always like trips me up I'm like why does anyone believe for a second there's a board for certifying Spanish tutors and it's really gratifying when Annie calls him back on that. I was gonna say doesn't Annie have a she's like what board or whatever yeah just certifies <laughs> yes. this yeah I mean, think about that. This is what's so genius about their jokes sometimes. It's like, how who would even be the board? How would you do, how would you certify someone as being like a legitimate tutor of a subject? Not a teacher, not like a you know, no. someone who needs to be credentialed. Like, yeah, I can tutor you in that. It's amazing. But I think though, like speaking more generally about the group, like unless and it's possible that you can make an argument that Abed kind of intentionally engineered who he selected it's really presented as a totally random assortment of people that then do become like not just a study group but then as you were saying like throughout the rest of the show later seasons of the show are less about them becoming a group 
and more about how that group has morphed into this like codependent entity um, that kind of is, a, you know, itself against the rest of the, the campus. Um, so they go from total strangers to kind of normal functioning group to like, you know, kind of like enclosed family unit of, of mutual desperation. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. And in fact, they themselves become kind of a pariah because isn't there an yeah. episode somewhere towards, I'm going to say it's somewhere later than season three. We'll get there eventually. But there's an episode where there's a group in there. In fact, I think it's like the German foosball masters take over the study group yes. and they've like booked it for like weeks in advance or whatever it is. And, and even other characters like Neil and other, I mean, at some point it becomes like a thing where they're like, what is wrong with you guys? Like, you're such a weird group of people, but you're absolutely right. Like, there's this organic beginning that they're just this study group. And then they kind of become this motley crew that gets into these capers. But then at some point, it is just like this dysfunctional family. But it's true. I mean, the show goes in that direction, but always in that self-aware kind of way where it just goes so far beyond, again, the ostensible Spanish study group. And yet in these early episodes, <laughs> I mean, they really are getting together to study Spanish, <laughs> to like yeah. study Spanish together. So it's kind of silly and sweet in a way when you go back and watch the first few episodes. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember how this show started, you know. Yeah, um, and eventually you learn that the rest of the school is fed up with all of their antics and their closeness and their, you know, being the dean's favorites. Well, and like the love triangles and always getting mm -hmm. the school involved in these like paintball wars. I mean, it is. It's like eventually the school is just like, why do you, why does this group of seven like seem to have so much control over what yes. happens in the lives of everyone at this at this community college which is super meta because you kind of know watching sitcoms that the main characters are always positioned as the center of this universe but it's it's funny that community knows how unrealistic that is and occasionally has outsiders complain about it it is because the other thing too is i don't know if you remember this i didn't until i watched it today the very last screen is an in memoriam to john hughes yeah. I, I don't know if you streamed it, if that's necessarily the case for all formats, but for mm -hmm. like it was, you know, on the on the DVD. And I, I mean, look, there's a whole John Hughes thing going on here. It's it's yeah. obvious from the beginning. Abed's making the Breakfast Club references. But I forgot like how much of a um, influence that that really was. You watch those films about the it crowd in high school. And as someone who's just like a viewer watching it and who can say like myself has never really been part of an it crowd, you know yeah. what I mean? Like there's this part of you that's just like, I can't stand these people. And like what world <laughs> does this group of like teenagers experiencing like, like let's say 90210, experiencing like drug use and suicide. I mean, there's like heavy things that go on in that show. Or like my so-called life, Dawson's Creek. You look at some of the more recent TV versions of the of this or whatever. And it is just sort of like, what high school is right. like this? Like my high school wasn't like that. There was an it crowd at my high school. It was more like prominent different groups that you fit into or so you know what i mean mm -hmm. it was like there were the athletes and there were these people and there were those people whatever i mean so even that like watching community it's just like yeah. if seven people got together to study spanish in a study room nobody would ever notice so it's hilarious that they so quickly become <laughs> like the center of this entire school and every once in a while someone gets a line that basically is them being like who the hell are you people you yeah know? I do. I love those reminders of, of reality. Like after a show has been on long enough that you're really invested in the in these characters to have a reality check on them every once in a while is fun. It is. And it's funny, too, that they and especially now 
looking back at it and seeing that, you know, that in memoriam to John Hughes, it's so interesting too how that already sets up this meta level. Like we're trying mm-hmm. to go for this 80s John Hughes, it crowd, high school, whatever sort of thing, but it's not a high school film from the 80s. It's a show about a community college from the late, you know, 2000 aughts or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're so self-aware that like this is uh, this is unrealistic that this group would have this much power. But then when you start getting into like season four and there's all the like weird authoritarian stuff starts happening with Chang and all that. Kind of, I mean, it is just weird. Like show how much the show starts to focus on as you were saying earlier like this group's dependency on each other and their sort of like shared misery and their center uh, you know their being at the center of this school but also yeah as i say it's like the the show community the show is always so aware of that from the beginning i mean from the very beginning you get this like kind of tongue-in-cheek sort of wink wink like yeah look we know it wouldn't really happen like this you know what i mean it, yeah it couldn't it doesn't happen like this but in a way that's what you love about movies like the breakfast club is like here's this group of people thrust together for detention or whatever you know and it's like ah, oh, those crazy kids they found each other despite all their differences and, and in that way that's what i love about the diversity of the community characters the cast is it's very different from a John Hughes film and that it's not all like white affluent teenagers for the most part from like the suburbs of Chicago or whatever. I mean, this is like, it's clear they knew they wanted to have this diversity with the cast in Mm -hmm. terms of age, gender, race, ethnicity, because a lot of those things come up. Like a lot of these like more political, if you will, or social sociological sort of themes come up in the show. It's always like this acknowledgement of the John Hughes 80s film, but with this very clear, like, we love it, but we know it's unrealistic and we definitely want to be different. And it's, you know, I think you see that from early on. It's also interesting because in a lot of shows and movies, those characters exist as if there are no TVs or movies or anything in their reality. Whereas... (laughs) We obviously are very influenced by the entertainment we choose to watch. And these characters share that same entertainment. I don't want to ever call this show realistic, but like (laughs) that aspect of it, that the characters actually do seek out entertainment and are influenced by it is, is more realistic than most other shows or movies. It's so weird when I watch a show or a movie and they make a reference to another show or movie or the classic, like when a character in a movie says something like, it ain't like the movies or whatever. It's like some grizzled old cop is like, you know, like teaching the new, the young cop or whatever, how to like handle these grisly murder investigations. And it ain't like the movies, kid, you know? And it's always like, oh, like, yoink, you know, like, yeah, but it is a movie. But that's what I love about community is like, it's so full of these references to our generation, right? Like 80s, 90s TV and films and pop culture. It's so full of those references. That so are our lives. We talk about them. We're talking about it right now. We have made an appointment to talk about it. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's like it means something to us. Yeah. In fact, oh, I got it. I wrote down this one line. Oh, wait. oh, so Jeff, so Jeff makes an early attempt to like hit on Britta in the cafeteria and she just kind of gets up and walks away. And he's like, you know, I'm doing this study group. I'm a certified tutor, tutor or whatever. And then and I'm going to describe I'm going to describe this character. So, you know, warning, I'm going to describe this character in a very frank way, but it's because it's important. I don't want this to seem okay. like I'm being limited, but it's important to the dialogue. So this older sort of heavy set black woman comes up to jeff after britta walks away (laughs) and jeff says something to her about like what he's like going through or like what's happening with him and britta and she kind of looks at him like what are you talking about and he says and this is like pretty close to a direct quote jeff says sorry i was raised on tv and conditioned to believe that every black woman over 50 is a cosmic mentor. (laughs) And I I forgot that line, but I wrote down in my notebook in all capitals, like meta underlined with like a, but back to your exact 
point here we have made an appointment to talk about this show to start this pod because we love this show and again we're in the social distance world where we got to do this over zoom and mm-hmm. and this show is like so constantly like extending its tentacles to that world of pop culture and to your point it's like you would never want to call this show realistic especially after some of the things we'll see you know like we'll yeah. get to in later episodes but there is something about this where like the tongue-in-cheek meta references are so thick sometimes it almost becomes so meta and like breaks the fourth wall or that it kind of just fractures its own illusion of being a tv show if that makes sense and so it's like i totally hear what you're saying i don't know that i would ever call it realistic but somehow it's more than fiction because it's so it so speaks to people of a certain generation and all these sort of references and it's one of those things where when jeff says that there's part of me especially like as a white male myself of a certain age i feel like oh god that's problematic like you can't say that in a show and i shouldn't like the show as much as i do because that's problematic but then at the same time that's what the show does so well is it just calls out this stuff and jeff is just like through the character of Jeff, Dan Harmon, the people who create the show are saying to you, think about it, you know, white people of a certain age who grew up watching John Hughes films. Don't you kind of have this part of your psyche that made that relation when you saw this woman, you know, like walking up to Jeff? Yes. Or what? And there is, there's this part of you that like, here's Jeff say that. And you're like, oh my God, that's true. That's me. <laughs> and not that I interact with human beings out in the world that way. I don't want to make that, but I'm saying in television and film we have just been conditioned to see it that way this is the older wise black character who's going to listen to jeff's problems and be like well here's how you get the girl and like whatever but then her line is something like were you conditioned to pay for your time to pay for your tacos (laughs) and it's just so like i don't know what you're talking about man but just like come pay for your food and then it's also funny because she refers to him as seinfeld and jeff's like yeah oh, yeah. yeah sorry but then he's like uh, oh and it's seinfeld <laughs> just like so yet another reference to like shows of our youth yeah it's not it's definitely not realistic but there is a, a ring of truth to a lot of what the characters say and do exactly exactly and i think it's really important to note that a lot of their lines are very specific and targeted and even in one context or out of context might sound controversial but it's precisely to play with the psyche of the viewer part of you where not in real life do i see certain people as meant to be cosmic mentors but like when you watch but you get the reference you get the reference because you're like oh my god how many shows did i watch when i was a kid or films that i watched as a kid where you had this character you yeah. know, one other thing I wanted to reference, and this is more of like a a visual thing, but it's always weird to me. And I've noticed this watching the first episode before Jeff's wardrobe. So obviously Jeff is like a failed lawyer insofar as the like American Bar Association or something finds out that um, he has like a fake de- undergraduate degree. So he's got to mm-hmm. go back to community college or whatever to like get the degree. But in later episodes, he's very much like almost like a well he's a sex symbol he's got this like suave worldly you know he's in his 40s he's like the lawyer who like you know lives well loves scotch dresses well nice car like cosmopolitan it's funny to me that he's wearing so he's wearing a collared shirt with like a v-neck sweater over it and a sport coat but then he's wearing like adidas jogger pants and like a pair of tennis shoes and it's such a it's like such a different winger than you get like in the later episodes where he's like super smooth jeff winger you know who's always like self-aware of like how cool and kind of suave he is and like even like the character the actor they start putting him in like more tight fitting slimmer like sweaters and stuff you know like his yeah his, image his vanity changed. becomes a, a big part of the show yeah exactly but was he being sloppy in these first few episodes or was he being really prescient about zoom wear we would be wearing 10 years later. 
Yeah, I'm one to talk. Uh, <laughs> if this were, a, yeah, if this were, yeah, a video pod or some sort of like live feed on Twitch, people would see my loungewear. But, um, <laughs> no, but it's so true. Like he becomes so like aware of his suaveness and like as you said, his vanity becomes a thing, and he gets called out for it by the other characters or mm-hmm. whatever. It's funny to me how that how that changes and and that's one thing and all the characters change their styles change but the show changes it goes over years but it is funny to me when you watch the early episodes how much the look and feel of the characters change another example of that is Britta yes and Britta, she's very different in the pilot and and really like the first season or two and in a way when you go back and watch this it's frustrating what happens to her character in a way i think i feel more bad badly for Britta's character than any of the characters because she really it gives her a lot of space as an actor to do more things in a way because like Jillian Jacobs playing like ditzy and like vapid or whatever is very funny but just such a different character Britta in the early stages I'm really glad that they learned to kind of give Britta more space to be goofy but then, as you know, as most shows, as you get towards the last seasons of a show, the characters kind of become caricatures of them of themselves. So she gets kind of locked into that. But I am really glad that they don't take her further down this pixie dream girl path that they kind of set up in the pilot. She she's much more interesting being a weird, uh, complete, you know, goof who is earnestly trying to do well, but failing at it. <laughs> Um, as opposed to being this kind of like slacker, um, I, I don't know, what would you even call her? Like kind of like a lapsed activist? <laughs> no, it's so true. And I hadn't thought about that. Like, in a way, maybe the character's better. Because there's something that's hard to take up with her in the first couple episodes, in a way. I mean, just insofar as like, it almost seems like, too forced that she's this like cool detached like yeah yeah, like this slacker this like again like for you know films from our youth this sort of reality bites like you know what i mean uh kind of version she's like constructed to be attractive to jeff yeah 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 exactly um it's yes. funny every both jeff and abed say she looks like elizabeth Shue. yeah <laughs> so there's this like obvious just like she's physically attracted or whatever but there's definitely that like oh this is going to be like a hard person to get attracted to me because she's so different but i do think there's parts of me when i watch the later episodes where you know Britta's just like so dumb in some ways yeah. that's those are kind of painful moments they are. They're painful if you watch the show and love the show, because especially early on and in, in this pilot, like she has some moments where she puts Jeff in check. And in a way, she's kind of the voice of reason, you know, when she's sort of consistently calling out Jeff for being like, why did you assemble this group of people and take advantage of them just so you could like get in my pants or whatever? But there's like a real lesson there that's like, you don't build community and a sense of belonging and make connections with people if you're just using them for like your own gain or whatever, like your own sort of like solipsistic, your own just like narcissistic yeah. gain of things. And it's interesting that she's that voice of reason. She says she dropped out of high school to impress radio. Oh, <laughs> radio gosh, that, it's like, so maybe, funny. Yeah. I was cra- completely forgot about that to impress Radiohead. That joke has to be aimed at the narrowest demographic because they don't explain it at all, but you know exactly what they mean. <laughs> it's so true. And out of all the bands from like the mid to late 90s, like, you know, our high school era or whatever that you could have chosen. No, that's perfect. Yeah, I mean, I thought about that, too, because I was like, you couldn't really say, like, Nirvana, or you couldn't really say, like, whatever, Everclear, Rusted, I'm just thinking about, like, these bands that people are, you know, Pearl Jam, there's something about saying I dropped out of high school to impress Radiohead that just sounds so right, because it's like, yeah, if you went back to that era, and there was a band that was cool that you thought might relate to you and be open to being friends with you 
if they knew that you rebelled so hard against the system that you just dropped out of school, <laughs> it yeah. might have been Radiohead, you know, or at least you could see a certain type of person thinking, I, I think Radiohead would dig this. <laughs> yeah, like you have to have known Radiohead fans in high school to get this joke. And that was a very small window of time, but it is pitch perfect. <laughs> Yeah, you had to know somebody that was really affected by the OK Computer album yeah. at a very specific, yeah. <laughs> you know, at a very specific time in the in in yeah in that era of your life to be like, oh yeah, I remember the kid who got super into that album. <laughs> <laughs> Another like line that really cracked me up was the uh, they're in the the study room and it's just Britta, Jeff and Abed and Abed saying something like, Oh, so like, this is when we become like a group and like, you know, we'll come in here and study, but also like, well, if we have anything to, you know, like emotionally weighty, we can share it or whatever in this oh, group. Yeah. And Britta says something like, do you have something you want to share? And I laughed so hard. I forgot this line, but Abed says, Oh, I got a little doozy in the chamber. If things get a <laughs> It's just such a good line because he is that again as someone who evolves in the show, character who evolves in the show, he becomes so like robotic at times and detached, and you know, there's times where he's just so lacking in emotional capacity, or at least mm -hmm. like in a traditional way. <laughs> and, yeah, and also the way he delivers the line was so good. He's like, "Oh, I got a little doozy." <laughs> You're just like, oh, man. And Danny Pudi is so good at this. Like, I think that he had kind of figured out the character of Abed super early on. Yeah. Is that you can kind of see that, um, does Abed some, have something he needs to share for his own purposes? Nope. But if he needs to be part of an emotional conversation, he already knows the story he would have to retell. That's such a... <laughs> That is such a good reading of that because I hadn't even thought about that, but you're right. I, I will say two things that you bring up that I think are spot on. Number one, out of everybody in this cast, Danny Pudi had it. He he saw this. And as the show goes on, you see how important Abed is to Dan Harmon and how Abed yeah. is maybe in ways a reflection of Dan Harmon or some version of himself. But Danny Pudi got it like yeah. early on like this is who Abed is and this is who Abed's gonna be like when they're all arguing and he slams the table and goes full Judd Nelson <laughs> as uh John Bender in in Breakfast Club you know <laughs> like what do you call it a carton of cigarettes at Christmas yeah. I mean he's just so good at that stuff early on but also there's the character aspect to it where it's like He's not necessarily saying he actually has this no. emotional story from his life that he has to tell you. All he's telling you is if we have a moment where we all share like a dark or like troubling story or secret from our life, we all need to like unravel some like ball of guilt or emotion. <laughs> Abed's just saying, oh, yeah, I've got one of those. I've yeah. got... <laughs> and so even a lot, I got a little busy in the chamber. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't need to talk about it, but he knows that the, that's the social protocol that he should follow. It's so good. And that really speaks to one of the things I really appreciate about, especially the, the early seasons of the show when Dan Harmon is very involved, is that they reveal these things about their characters without telling you that that's what they're revealing. That it just comes about in these conversations very naturally. Um, it works. It works really, really well. I think some in like fourth season i think it is when dan Harmon isn't involved as yep, much yep. and i don't know all the, the details of, of that but they do a lot more like deliberate exposition where they tell you what you need to know as opposed to just letting it reveal itself in the dialogue like that they do that super well especially in the early seasons that's a great point i hadn't thought about that and to come back to what we were saying at the beginning of of this pod i mean it's true like you uh, i mean i think you hit another nail on the head Watching this show from now, like to sort of talk about it or whatever, but creating this space where we can talk about it and sort of see how the characters evolve. I'm learning things just talking to you today, like in this pod. And this is another thing that you've shown to me today. So I appreciate that because I love the show. But it's I mean, it's great to talk about it with you because you just learn so much from other people's perspectives. Yeah. I never thought about that. I mean, and that's part of the show. Everybody's learning from each other's experience and perspective. You've got, uh, yeah. you know, 
an older gentleman in Pierce who owned a business. You've got the divorced mother of two or whatever in Shirley, you know, all these sorts of things. Even, you know, early on, Abed reveals to Jeff that he's that his dad's Palestinian. So Mm -hmm. you've got that, you know, I mean, eventually Annie's being Jewish becomes part of the show that that diversity and kind of learning from each other's, you know, different backgrounds or whatever does become part of the show. To this point you were just making, what I think is so great about this show is it's never like explicit or at the forefront in the exposition, to borrow that word from you, or the plot. It's always like these things get slowly revealed in the dialogue as the show goes on. And this is just an early example with Abed where you learn like, yeah, you're never really gonna get to Abed's emotional core, but what he's telling you is he's so well-versed in these tropes from television and film (laughs) that when there are emotional moments to be had with other people, he can conjure up like the content. <laughs> like, yeah. like I, I got one in the chamber. I'm ready, man. When we do that, <laughs> when we do that thing as a group at the end of the year, like I'm ready to go or whatever. But it's, it is, it's great. And it's just, and even hearing you now say that it's like, I'm, it's making me realize so much about this show and where it's genius lies. It, yeah. It's just, lets these things unfold organically through the character dialogue and you learn so much about the characters in a way it's like the quintessential example of a show you have to watch from beginning to end yeah and we'll talk i'm sure as episodes go on there are some episodes where somebody drops a line that is like so revealing of their personal history and it'll be like (laughs) in a later season where you're like what (laughs) you know Yeah, no, you're right, because there's a fantastic example of that in the pilot when Shirley makes the comment about grabbing the back of somebody's head and shoving it through a jukebox. And then Jeff later comments on how, like, that was way too specific to be improvised, which is so true to the point where I'm assuming the writers know someone who did that. (laughs) It is so true. And when you learn that she had that phase that she spent a lot of time at that one bar enough to get her picture on like the wall of shame, like her Polaroid up there, that puts that bring that kind of calls that back. But um, to that bit with Jeff at the end, I think, you know, maybe sort of end on this note, the show ends with the Jeff Winger summation, right? And Um, analysis. Exactly. And that becomes a trope of the show. Jeff is the leader of the group, gives his summation. But because he's a lawyer, it's like, you know, it's his summation or whatever. of Like, here's what you've seen today. Here's what we presented to you. Exactly. It's like his closing arguments. But that's so funny when he goes around the room and he kind of puts (laughs) a little stamp on everybody's character and he gets to Shirley and just says, that is far too specific for that to have been improvised. <laughs> and I love Shirley's uh, response as she does that kind of muttered like, mm-hmm, you know, like which becomes a thing that she does, like kind of yeah. under the breath, like, mm-hmm, like, or whatever, like either denials or like um, agreements with what <laughs> it's true to say. And then you take somebody's head and smash it through a jukebox <laughs> or whatever. That's just like, that's way too real. Like, yeah, you've seen that or you've done that. But um, I did just wonder, real quick what you thought about that speech at the end from Jeff, his summation, his closing argument, his analysis, because one of the things he says is you're no longer a group, you're a community or something to that effect. But he's like, this isn't a group. This is a community. I mean, not to sound too corny, but there was a part of it. We're watching it today. I was like, yeah, man, like, that's all right. Like, that's that's why I love this show. It's just a nice little like, hey, people can be different but you can come together for a common goal. Like, don't overthink it, people. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. And I love that the show has these really kind of like sweet moments with the characters of real emotion that aren't too saccharine because the rest of the show is so um, kind of like complex and interesting and they're all super flawed um, so that you you don't feel like these moments of, of real emotion are too much. That's a great way to put it. And I love the use of the word saccharine, by the way, but it is so true, Sandy, that like there is a part of this show that you feel comfortable with and you get used to the Jeff Winger summation. You feel comfortable with it because they know how to gauge and moderate where emotion comes out and not just from show to show, like 
um, emotion from the characters, but that would appeal to the viewers' emotions, and not just from um, like within one episode, but even from show to show or season to season. I mean, as we'll talk about, there are some utterly preposterous episodes. Oh yeah. But then by the time you get to the end of the show, like I'm not gonna lie, the first time I saw the very last episode of season six, like got a little misty-eyed in the Kroll household. You know? yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, like I miss these people and I'm losing them. I mean, you know, like, yeah, for the 18th time, and I'm sure people are already sick of hearing <laughs> us hearing me say this one one episode into our pod, but like so good, so self-aware. And one thing that we haven't mentioned yet that is amazing about the pilot is John Oliver's character. Duncan. Yes. I forgot that he was such, in fact, Duncan is in the show before Chang is in the show and Chang yeah. becomes like a much more integral part. He becomes part of the group, quote unquote, kind of yeah. on the fringes. But it, yeah, I mean, to see Duncan and that's, yeah. a, you know, that's the real, um, this show does a great job with these like moral quandaries as preposterous as they may be just in terms of some of like, you know, the fact that it's a fictional TV show or whatever. I mean, sometimes it's a little like, you know, ridiculous, the moral quandaries they find themselves in. But that's an interesting part of this pilot is Duncan and Jeff as the two sides of like the moral, you know, Jeff being like, yes. give me all the answers to all the exams, help me get through this as quickly as possible. And that's kind of his approach to Britta. And Britta and Duncan are sort of the voices of reason, but you gotta love when he pulls out the exam answers and it's blank. <laughs> and then the last page says, <laughs> oh, yeah, whatever, which is obviously Duncan parroting jeff from an earlier scene or whatever but i did jot that down that's funny yeah john oliver's performance is just solid gold <laughs> it's so good and obviously if you're a fan of john oliver and like his show i mean then it's just, it's funny to see him in that context too it's uh -huh. another way where you're like oh god this was like 12 years ago like completely different person you know Look at his uh, terrible haircut <laughs> <laughs> one last thing is jeff has a line at the very end Troy says something about, I think it's Troy says something about like, oh, dude, this is not going to be hard. We just have to go study for like an hour for this exam. We'll do yeah. fine. Like you're a smart guy. And Jeff says, the funny thing about being smart is that you can get through most of life without doing any work. There's something true about that in a way that I don't really want to analyze. You know what I mean? And it's like <laughs> it's a little too close to home. And I think I'm a hard, let me say this, and I'm not being defensive. I think I'm a hard worker, but I would say I know there were points in my life where I just relied on being smart, quote unquote, and knew I could get a certain level of grade with a minimal amount of effort. And you get to a point in your life where you're in your 40s and you, re <laughs> you realize maybe if I would have put a little more effort in the earlier phases of my life, my life might be a little different. You know what I mean? And yes. Through this pandemic, as many human beings, I think, are, I've been doing a lot of that. And we've talked about this on a personal level. A lot of that just like, is this the life I want to live? Is this what I want to be doing? Is this where I want to be? Like, I don't. And so to hear Winger yeah. give that line, there was part of me that was like, yeah, it's, it's nice to be smart and know you can kind of loaf through some things and get by and be successful. But there's also just something to be said about putting in, <laughs> putting in the work, you know. Or just being intentional about it. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of kind of like coasting through life, kind of reacting to what's happening around you, like charting your own course and actually finding out what some of your limits are by trying as hard as you can, as opposed to just, you know, just doing what you need to do to get by. No, that's a great way to put it. And it's funny because now that I think about it, the very end of this show, when people are kind of going off in their different directions, some of the characters go off in different directions to do things. It is about that. Mm -hmm. It's about challenging themselves to see what they can do outside of this group, outside of this yeah. community, outside of this kind of dysfunctional family they've built. And yet some of the other characters, because of where they're at in their time in their life, stay. And that's something we'll talk about because I had a very emotional reaction to that when I first saw that last episode. Currently, we're working at the place where I did my my PhD or whatever. And so, like, as you know, as a person, I've felt that way. Like, okay, <laughs> everybody I used to hang out with, like, finished their work and graduated and left. And I'm <laughs> partly what I um, have often, like, related to in this show or kind of struggled through myself. But that's such a great, I mean, it's so true. It's like, you're not going to know your own limits unless you challenge yourself to test those limits or to mm -hmm. see limits are and one of the ways you do that is just through like good old-fashioned hard work or whatever that is and i think that's a lot of what this show really says this pilot is like 
signposts that these characters are going to evolve in ways and they're going to challenge each other and themselves in certain ways. And part of that is just through being a community and like being different. But part of it too is like the very real, are we going to do what it takes to succeed in this Spanish class? Because that comes up later in the first season when they have to take the exam. Suddenly it's like, no, we really have to study for this. <laughs> class finally and it is just like an interesting parallel like maybe that's the lesson as you say and you put it so well it's like at some point you have to challenge yourself and not just rely on some baseline of intelligence to be like yeah exactly like stop doing the minimum requirement and figure out what your maximum is no that's exactly it one other thing i like about the pilot is that you start to see this burgeoning connection between pierce and troy which is so weird but really works they share a joke about Albert having Asperger's and how it sounds like burgers for your ass. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, they do. Because Troy laughs about it. And then Annie's like, that's a real condition or whatever. <laughs> but then Pierce kind of like gives him like, that's ah, OK. You know, like I'm kind of feeling that too. Asperger's. Yeah. yeah and Troy's like, it's like a burger for your ass. <laughs> oh, my God. But it's true. But you also see all the little connections in a sense, like you start to see something growing between Troy and Pierce. You see Pierce's need to be validated by Jeff. You see the <laughs> Jeff and Britta like love interest. You see Annie and Shirley like they bring this sort of feminine quality. They're both very much like nurturers for the group, um, Shirley being like a mother herself, but they also are like opposites in some ways. And you mm -hmm. see this sort of like they're kind of foils for each other. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. but that they're starting. So it's interesting from episode one, you start to see where like the different um, connections in like, mm -hmm. just you know, between two characters will start, will start to build. And that's one thing that this show does really, really well is you have the group of seven, but then you also have these little splintered pairs. Mm -hmm. um, and in a way that I think really balances things out, it feels like every individual character has their moments of the show. The group mm -hmm. obviously has moments of the show, but then there's different combinations of two or three that start to get their moments. I think they were very yeah. good about that throughout the series. Like, Yeah, they you can tell that although they're a group, each of the individual characters has a relationship with each of the other characters. Yeah, exactly. And that's so hard to do in an ensemble show like this. And that's what I think yeah. they really do well. Like, And then obviously as the show evolves and certain people leave the group, that becomes in and of itself. There's like a void there that needs to be filled in some yeah. ways. Anyway, anything else that you had on your mind? Anything that you thought was particularly poignant or worth mentioning? No, but this was really fun. It was super fun. It's good to see you, by the way, Sandy, and thanks for doing this. This is super fun. Well, I guess that's it for our first, our pilot of our podcast on our fan pod on community and looking at the pilot and the show. Uh, we'll be back soon with an analysis of season one, episode two, which is titled Spanish 101. So thanks for listening, everybody. Our theme music is Happy Dance by Cedric Gelke. Please subscribe to Streets Behind wherever you get your podcasts.